everyone. Welcome to Lacrosse Now alongside Travis Eldridge. I am Tom Eschen. Thanks so much for joining us here today. I'm fresh off LaxCon in Baltimore, Maryland. Yeah, was how was it? Awesome to see um, all the many of the people in the lacrosse world under one roof from all different facets of the country and of different mindsets as well. And of course, it wasn't the the turnout and everybody that could be there all at once yeah. just because of COVID and all those things. But it's still great to get back in person with a lot of these people. So that's awesome, everybody. So thanks for those of you who came by and said hello. Appreciate that and uh, looking forward to connecting more of you in the future. In the meantime, we got a show to do. Yeah, we got a great show coming up. We've got uh, two college stars that are joining us today. We've got Owen Hiltz from Syracuse getting ready for his sophomore season. Casey Choma, an All-American from Notre Dame, joining us as well. So that should be great. Yeah, it should be a, a lot of fun. We're doing an Ivy League preview on yep. both the men and the women. And, of course, the women for the Pac-12 is also on our docket here today. So we're taking a look at all those conferences, those teams and players as the day goes on. We've got some possible realignment in the CAA. We do. And, and we'll get to that in a moment. But at LaxCon, um, I was able to sit down with Joey Spillane and his father, Joe, of course, and, and talk a little bit about, you know, the – his NIL deal with, with yeah. Gate Lacrosse and the impact, you know, that could make on the landscape, you know, moving on in the future. And um, I, I think a lot of people have had a lot to say about it for one reason or another. And uh, I think for good reason, it's a very impactful uh, moment in the lacrosse world. And when uh, a prep athlete signs with Gate Lacrosse um, and, and moving into the future. So the news coming out last week, Joey Spillina signing a four-year deal, which is interesting with uh, Gate Lacrosse, which has no direct affiliation with Gary Gate and Syracuse. It should be noted. It's Gary's brother, Paul, who's the one that's running Gate Lacrosse at the moment. And so no direct affiliation. Four-year deal, which is interesting because it covers Joey's senior year of high school and then his first three years at Syracuse. But really, I think the interest amongst this is obviously the name, because you, anytime you're associating the last name of an equipment company that also happens to be the last name of the head coach that you're going to play for, that's going to raise some red flags. But I think the intrigue around this is not as much about what it means for Joey Spelina, because Joey Spelina had figured out he wanted to go to Syracuse before name, image, and likeness was right. on the radar yeah. for him as a high school and soon-to-be college athlete. He, he dreamed of playing for Syracuse. John Desco put the number 22 out there, and he said, where do I sign? So and no one really at that point when he signed had no idea what any name engine like this was all about. There's a lot of figuring. I mean, we talked to a lot of people. We yeah. don't know what this is, they said at that time, too. We still don't really don't know so. exactly That's what, what it is. That's what we're talking about this But week. the intrigue around it is, is what does it mean long-term? What does it mean for the future? It, it, can an equipment company like Gate Lacrosse, decide we don't want to sponsor athletes for all of these programs. We want to sponsor athletes for one particular program, make that kind of our flagship, and then pick and choose the top recruits we want to come to that school and give them name, image, and likeness deals entering their collegiate careers, whether it's their senior year of high school or halfway through their senior year or getting into their summer before their freshman year of college. That's the question that's being posed here, because if Gate Lacrosse decides to, and this is like, it, it's not regulated really yet. And so if they decide to, and they're going to take the top recruit in each class and say, well, if you sign with Syracuse, there's a four-year deal coming your way with this equipment manufacturer. Who's to say that a particular school, whether it's Syracuse, whether it's Maryland with a different, pro different equipment provider, 
who's to say that they're not just going to get every top recruit because of this? And I think that's the intrigue and the scare amongst the college coaching community. Yeah, and I think, I mean, obviously it's, it's legal to do in New York State, so why, why not at this point and, and, and really test those waters, whatever they might be. So, I mean, they, Gate Lacrosse has every right to do that. I just wonder, I think you're right, and we've, we've talked to different coaches about this in the past and their concerns when it comes to if that were to be the case. I just don't know how many Joey Spelinas are out there in which a company would want to go and invest. And I think we saw that lesson in college football this past year. And Spencer Rattler, you know, off the top of your head with Oklahoma, gets this big NIL deal, loses his job. And I don't know what that meant on the back end of things for the company that invested in him in terms of their investment and what that all turned out to be. It's not as valuable. Exactly. <laughs> so I don't know when it comes to the cross prospects and recruits. We've had some of these big-time recruits in the past. And I think Brennan O'Neill, I talked to, about uh, him with uh, Joe uh, Spelina a bit, too. And uh, Brennan O'Neill was also one of those larger-than-life figures coming yep. out of high school. And, and Joey Spelina, in a different way, has his own flair for the sport. He's got the viral highlights, sort of like in the Zion Williamson mode and, and, and YouTube and all of that. I just don't know how many of those there are coming out of high school in terms of that are that marketable and that much of a, a well-worth investment for these companies on their end that they want to go say that for their university of their right. choice. No, you're 100% right, though I think the age of social media, and it, it's happened across all sports, but I think particularly lacrosse, I mean, you look at the last several years, we've had a guy in just about every class that's been like this. Joey Spelina is the latest, but before that, you, you mentioned Brennan O'Neill. Uh, you, you look at Dehogan Anacoke, the things he was doing in high school. I mean, there's no reason that a a brand doesn't want to associate with a guy like that who has that kind of highlights and that kind of impact on, on the social media sphere. So we've consistently had, maybe there's a year off here and there, and maybe it's not the number one ranked guy, but consistently we've had a guy in just about every class that's made a name for himself on social media before he's ever stepped on a college campus. Yeah, I, I think, I don't know how big it, it, that, that can be you know what I mean in terms of the company right. investing and but, people seeing that and you look at the women's side with Charlotte North if you know she was a little bit under you know she wasn't highly touted coming out but if you've got these other ones like uh, the Hasselbeck Mallory Hasselbeck who was obviously a, a big name for a lot of reasons and yep. um, she's another one that could be a candidate for this you know already at BC but at the same time coming out I mean you do see that on the women's side coming more and more I, I guess I just question if that is worth it for these companies. And, and I don't know. And, <laughs> and quite frankly, it may not be. But if a company just feels like because we want to make this program our flagship yeah. and no matter what, we want to make sure they are the best and most talented team in the country, we're going to devote X numbers of dollars and resources to making that the best program in the country. And this is across not just college across. This is across any sport. You look at a, I mean, you look at ties like an, like an Under Armour to Maryland. This is 10 years ago, and Under Armour is trying to put its stake at Maryland and make Maryland its flagship like Nike has Oregon. But now all of a sudden, you can put financial things to players in written contracts. Like, who's to say that that doesn't become just their incentive because they want this program to be great because they love the program and it's going to just boost up the name recognition of their company. I mean, if you're Gate Lacrosse, there aren't many better programs in the country to be associated with than Syracuse. And, you know, what better way to put your I mean, this is they're kind of reinvigorating this brand. What better way to do it than to be associated with one of the great programs in the sport? Yeah, I think the value comes, I think. 
over time there be more value maybe uh, there is some of course for the company name but more for the university that they are investing in when it comes to these companies like they love the, the school so much that they might have gone to or have kids there that or they're going to invest that, in making sure that school has the best program yeah I, that's what they're doing well the other question of, around this is will that make things much different tomorrow than they are today i don't know <laughs> do you I, think that might cause more separation or will the guys that were going to go there you know they were going to go there anyway i don't know i i think it will depend on how many of these programs there are and how many people are willing to put money behind it if at all you know if if there are multiple companies that are willing to put money behind a singular program or boosters whatever it is yeah then there will be however many programs that kind of set themselves above it's not to say that programs that don't have that can't still compete but you're behind the eight ball and it becomes something that's intriguing to watch when it comes to coaching openings and everything else because if that it, i mean it's the same thing with endowed coaching places like if you are at a place that has an endowed salary for the head coaching position that's a much more intriguing place to coach than somewhere that doesn't have that kind of support and that salary isn't just taken care of by a fund or boosters or whatever it is so it, all these things come into play um on the the broader landscape but i mean i immediate impact i don't know how much it changes right away yeah, and I think that you look at across the landscape of sports and you go to football as well. I think that this isn't just a lacrosse thing. You know, and I think when we looked, first looked at the name, image, and likeness stuff, I don't think, I think a lot of people thought, oh, the rich are going to get richer and the poor are going to get poorer. I, I mean, we thought maybe that wouldn't impact lacrosse as much, but I think we have to wait and see. Like you said, there's a lot we don't know just yet about all of this. So I think that that's what's the most impactful thing is the unknown and who can take advantage while we sort of have this void to work with. And, and quite frankly, we have to wait and see how things um how things play out, and if at all, if the NCAA or these governments start trying to find a way to legislate it, because yes. that will change a lot as well. Right. I, I think that they will at some point because they can't help themselves. But, <laughs> you we know, wait and see. they want to maybe but, prevent something like this or, or whatever from happening in the future. But I do think, and I talked about this with Joe, I, I think that the crossover potential of having a headline of saying, if your whatever main news source is, is talking about this first lacrosse player as a prep kid to sign a deal, an NIL deal, I think there's a great crossover that could be good for the sport at the same time as well. I think there's some positives there that are also that a part of that where these these individuals become stars, not just in the cross world, but the sports world as a whole because of some of the stuff that's tied in with it. And I want to reiterate as we close, Joey Spelina and this thing at Syracuse doesn't seem like at all, like it's not connected. Like Joey's just taking advantage of an opportunity that's yeah. in front of him. Like yeah. I completely support what he's done. It's just a much, it starts a much broader conversation off of it. But for him to have an equipment company, no matter what it is, say, hey, we want to come out there and possibly make a signature head and shoe and whatever gloves whatever else for you like you ask where do i sign on the dotted line and how and like what do i need to do like that, that any doesn't matter who you are you that you put that in front and it's a legal situation yeah. you say where do i sign and once again all this came after he signed at syracuse like that letter of intent's already signed like he he's, he can't back out now so no. he's in yeah. Maybe it keeps them there. Like, if things would go wrong, like, maybe it keeps players there and keeps them from transferring. But for the most part, like, this is, these are separate deals that just happen to occur within the same 
family. Absolutely, right, absolutely. And um, from what I understand, there were multiple places and companies that came to him and his family, you know, asking about yeah. um, what they would want to do. So I think that's another piece of that. That Gate Lacrosse is what they chose as the name and and what they are trying to do moving into the future. So we'll stay in college lacrosse. Uh, more changes coming this time in the CAA. Uh, reports are out there that the CAA is looking to add a number of new schools. The, the primary uh, reports out there are centered around three schools currently, Stony Brook, Monmouth, and Hampton as potential new members for as early as next school year. So yeah. starting here in 2022-23, in right away, Obviously, this impacts lacrosse in an interesting way. What do you make of the reports? Um, I'll obviously of JMU is a big part of this, of course. Yes. It goes across all of the sports right. in, in these leagues. So uh, JMU leaving after this year is a big part of this at the same time. So obviously for me, you do a lot of the CA women's games, and you look at a team like Stony Brook coming into the CAA. I mean, uh, uh, obviously that is almost a, a nice replacement for JMU, for the lack of a better term there. And I think that that could help elevate Stony Brook's profile quite a bit. And yeah. it seems like they do have outstanding regular seasons, but because of their strength of schedule within the conference, it impacts their draw in the NCAA tournament. And they're a team, as as you know, that have been sort of knocking on the door, but it feels like they get a really tough draw on a yearly basis. And I think moving into a, a conference like the CAA, who last year had four teams in the NCAA tournament, that was as many as the Big Ten. So you don't look at the CAA just as, oh, they're a one or two bid. They're four teams in the, in the NCAA. NCAA tournament last year there's a lot of strength in that schedule for so the for the Stony Brook women a team that's been on the rise now for quite a few years this could be cataclysmic I guess I don't know if that's a good word but it could be a, a huge huge thing for that program when this been step forward that's where I start actually in looking at all this well I think it's a bonus for both sides when you talk about the Stony Brook women's program because you, you talk about JMU. JMU leaving leaves a big hole yeah. at the top of the conference. Like that is a, it's a team that's won a national championship not too long and ago. And they won this conference four years in a row. Right. Four so you, you're losing the team of the last five to ten years. You're losing that team. You need to find a way to replace it in women's lacrosse. So Stony Brook obviously fills that void immediately. You, they, you, they lock in there with Towson and Drexel and Elon in recent memories had top 20 teams. So they slide right in as one of those teams that can compete for titles right away. I like that. The intrigue for me comes on the men's side with this because you have two programs in Fairfield and UMass who bring a lot to the table. For Fairfield, obviously – Success-wise, on the field, they haven't been as great as of late, but I do think they're turning the corner here under Andrew Baxter, and I think having a team in Connecticut for the conference is a really nice, fertile recruiting ground for everybody, not just Fairfield. So I think that's a positive, and we know what UMass has been. Like, that is that bolsters everybody's resume every single year because you know you're going to get a UMass team that is feisty, competitive. Greg Cannell is always going to put talents on the field. So... The intrigue for me is what it happens to them if you add these new teams because all of a sudden you're looking at a conference that maybe has nine teams yeah. instead of six. So no longer do you need UMass at Fairfield in order to compete. Now, from what I've heard, there hasn't been talks yet of just dropping those teams for men's lacrosse. I, think, I don't think the coaches in the conference would want that to happen. No. So I think they would probably try to find a way to schedule it where maybe you don't play everybody, maybe there's divisions, but we keep everybody in a similar conference. But it would make a gigantic men's lacrosse conference, the biggest, I think, probably in the country.
Yeah, and, and I up there with the Patriot League, I guess. Right, and you, you grow the conference, you grow the bids that that conference can have, and those resumes for each of these men's teams as well. And I think that's important for some of these programs that are trying to gain some traction. And in uh, Monmouth, maybe taking that next step, I mean, you're jumping. I know conference realignment, you think about what it is, but you look at the same on the women's side. Stony Brook and the American East, they've dominated it. You know that they, they have they, year after year. So then you go over to the men's side, maybe a team like Monmouth, who they they won. The MAC last year, they got yeah. the automatic bid. They, they tied, I believe, in Manhattan. It was, but they got the automatic bid in the NCAA tournament. Maybe now, if they want to take that next step as a program, you get into a conference like this to help bloom something. So it doesn't necessarily have to help just the top feeders, but some of those teams that are making their way and, and trying to establish themselves on a national scale too. Well, it would be a step up in terms. I think it is. If you're a Monmouth men's lacrosse program, it is the next step. Yeah, it's like all right, we've competed in a conference that's here. The CAA kind of falls, I feel like, most years, especially competitive-wise, what we've seen at the talent level, somewhere in between. Like, it's you got the top teams, the top conferences, Big Ten, the ACC, Ivy League has pulled into that conversation. The Patriot League's right there in the middle, and the CAA's probably right there, too. Depending on the year, maybe you're talking about a two-bid league, depending on what happens out of the conference. But most of the time, it's, one, it's the same thing with the Patriot League we've seen here in recent years. So you're on par there as opposed to being just looked at as automatically a one-bid league. Yeah, and then you see a team like Hampton, who also is a, a part of this conversation in the SOCON now after not having a conference, and now all of a sudden they're moving conferences year after well, year. Well, the SOCON is going to need a, another the, the, team. The, the SOCON would then need another team after they just split um, in this past season. So I, I think that there's some uh, dominoes to fall into place, but it does, it does provide a lot of intrigue for a lot of schools in a lot of different ways yeah. know, in, in terms of leaving, coming in, and it's a good thing for some and for others it might be a negative impact too I think with anything you know what the number one thing I love about this if these three teams do go in could you imagine Stony Brook Hofstra rivalries when they're in the same conference yeah. the battle for Long Island takes a whole new taken yeah. to a whole new level uh, absolutely like sign me up for all of those <laughs> it's a, games it's a lot of competitiveness for like that come for on sure. you, already on both sides yeah. already ready there you want to fight for some of the same type of recruits and all that yep. like now you just battle for Long Island you can battle for the conference as well I love it yeah I think that that would be very intriguing be a lot of fun and I wouldn't mind it either. So we'll see what happens. And I've obviously, the, a move kind of felt was coming when it came to all that. And obviously, that the domino is going to continue to fall um, after this as well. Nothing confirmed, by the way. These are all still initial reports. These are reports, but, yes. But pretty strong reporting uh, going on uh, around these moves. Uh, speaking of things that should be fun, the Ivy League this back. year. Back. And should be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm excited to see what we have because there's a lot of talent that was not on the field last year. Well, I mean, you look at it and maybe no one more than anybody else in the sports world. I don't know if I can say that, but in the lacrosse world, at least, was more impacted by the COVID shutdown of 2020 than the Ivy League. They yeah. were a chock full of teams in the top five, top ten in the country. And it was looking Michael Sowers and Princeton were cooking at the time. Cornell. Like Cornell and also with Teat and Donville and, and Piatelli. So it was it was almost like you felt like what what did we miss out on? And I don't know if 
We're going to recapture that this year because there's a lot of lacrosse that was in play, like we mentioned, over the last year and a half or so. But there is a lot of talent still here in the Ivy League. And, and obviously some of it has moved out, transferred out, or graduated out because of that non-extra year. But those, you know, those athletes that decided to sit out a semester or yeah. take a break, uh, they are back. So I think that that will make this league once again. I don't know if it's going to be where it, we left it, but still – We'll have something to say at the end of the year for sure. All right, so let's make some picks. I'll go first. Yeah, uh, go we're going to start with the men's, and I'm going with Yale. I know that's not some Whoa. groundbreaking <laughs> selection, but I mean, look, the time off hurts. But you look at this roster, and like just just about everybody's back from a team. You know, obviously the last time we saw them, they were losing in the national championship game. Uh, but, I mean, this team's loaded. You've got Matt Brandau, who I had forgotten the last time we saw him suit up at a college uh, lacrosse game. or would, No, one of the last times, sorry. Uh, with that 2019 national semifinal against Penn State, he scored seven goals. Mm -hmm. Forgot about that. But, I mean, this Yale team's really good. You still have Chris Face, uh, fake defensively. Brian Tevlin's back in the midfield. And this was one of the things that when I had a chance to spend a lot of time in the lead-up, when we thought the lead-up to the U19 World Championships for Team USA, it's now the U21, and we still haven't played them yet. But there are four guys on this U.S. now U21 roster that are part of Yale lacrosse that have really barely hit the field yet because they were just getting on the field in 2020, and obviously there was also a lot of talent in front of them. But Michael Alexander defensively, Patrick Hackler in the midfield, Jack Montfort there, and Jared Paquette, another goalie. That's a lot of talent. Mm. To I mean, four of a roster of 20-some guys is a lot, is a high percentage for one school to have of a team that's considered the best of a, a, essentially a generation's worth of players. And they've got a lot of talent that's come in. Andy Shea has done a terrific job recruiting. And we talk about this strength and conditioning program for Yale. I mean, that's essentially all they've done right, for like the last year <laughs> yeah, and a half. So I don't want to know what kind of athletes are walking <laughs> off the bus for Yale after they ought to had all that time to get conditioned. I do think for all these Ivy League teams, it's going to be a slow start. Like, I don't think... The non-conference, the very beginning of it in these first three weeks, especially because the Ivy League already is behind the eight ball of when they can start in February 1st as opposed to everybody else. But you get to the end of non-conference play, that the middle part of this, this season when you kind of like that March area, I think you're going to all of a sudden, everybody's going to realize Yale, Penn, Cornell, they're all back. Yeah, like you said, it'll take some time to, to get acclimated, but they've been practicing a lot. So, and they've been working a lot on some of those finer points of the game. So once you get hit and get in that game atmosphere and start feeling things again, I think a lot of it will come back pretty naturally. Like you said, Andy Shea's recruited really well. The number three recruit on the IL top incoming freshman, Leo Johnson out of Connecticut, an yep. attackman um, coming in. So he'll help um, Brandau and, and that crew as well. Like you said, they got a lot coming back. So we'll see how much these freshmen actually hit the field this year. But like that depth is so important. That's what yes. Yale has been accumulating up until, of course, the pandemic hit. And then, um, you know, you see some attrition through transfers and and whatnot, but at the end of the day, um, that will still ring true, I think, this year with Yale, too. And don't underestimate the hunger. I think it goes yeah. without saying for all these teams, but uh, programs like a Yale or Cornell, and you're looking at that 2020 season, and you think, all right, we're going to compete for another Final Four. Then you watch that get wiped away, and then you have to sit home and watch an entire season worth of lacrosse where everybody's talking about everybody else that's playing – I just, I mean, you can't underestimate the hunger. And for Yale, I think the hunger is there knowing we were in it. The last two times we could be in the Final Four, we were in it. 
Yeah. And we couldn't be there last year just because the season was taken away from us without our control. So I, I, you can't underestimate that hunger of wanting yeah. to be back there and prove, hey, you know what? That, that last year, it was great. Everybody was really talented, but we would have been in that conversation too. Yeah, I think they feel that way once again. I'm actually not going to go with Yale for my pick to Who win you got? this. I've got Penn and mm. Sam Hanley. I think Brandau, like we said, I think he's got a capability to be a Tourton finalist. I think Agreed. that's how good he is, and I think maybe people forgot about that, forgot about Brandau when we didn't have the Ivy last year. But ha Sam Hanley, another guy that can do just that. Haven't really seen much of him either lately because of course he did play in 2020 awesome really. freshman year and then 2020 had his health is issues and all of that but I mean he's still Sam Hanley I, I believe I did some reading about the scrimmages and he looks like the old and new all over again so you, you got a guy like that and of course Penn graduating some players and some other guys moving on but at the same time Sam Hanley is a guy that can carry you to championship weekend I feel like yeah those teams have the guy Sam Hanley is the guy that you just that freshman season if you forgot 35 goals 26 assists as just a freshman looking like a man amongst boys you talk about Brennan O'Neill all the time and, and how physically imposing he is Sam Hanley does that out of the midfield it's scary to watch sometimes he was unbelievable so I love what they have in Hanley they've got a pretty deep midfield coming back they have a couple of freshmen coming in on the defensive end that played together at the Bullis School in Maryland you've got Tyler Cool, whose father Kuehl, I think it is. His father, Ryan, played in the NFL for 12 years. So you know you've got some athleticism yeah. there, and you have some familiarity with another defenseman coming in in Ethan Till. So I like that continuity on the defensive end with some really talented freshmen in that top 100 by IL. So you've got that coming back. The schedule, on the other hand, is not easy. You never is. With Georgetown. So you're going to learn quickly about Penn, and sometimes we have in the past, where they've had yeah. a lot of like one-goal losses in these situations, but at the end of the day, I think they're going to be there to play. Georgetown, Duke, Penn State, Villanova, <laughs> Princeton, Cornell, Yale. Boom. Welcome nice back. Way to, Welcome back, Penn. <laughs> nice way to take, yeah, shake off the rust after a year and a half. Just roll through the entire top 20 in your first five games. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. But, yeah. But you know what? It's worked because yeah. every year, that's a team that even despite a record maybe being shaky, you could have three, four losses. But you win two of those games and you compete in the Ivy League and all of a sudden, RPI-wise, your numbers still look pretty good for the committee. Right. It's been a strategy that has worked for Penn. It's also worked for teams who have played Penn because their RPI numbers are also really good. So it boosts everybody else up. That's so everybody, Never, everybody yeah. wants to play Penn. It makes sense. <laughs> but it's a strategy that's worked. We were talking to, to Nick Myers about it in terms of scheduling. He, he likes the strategy. Yeah. He's trying to take more of it on there at Ohio State. Uh, I like Penn, too. I love Sam Hanley. He's mm. been, he was one of my favorite players to watch emerge in 2019. It, from everything, he's only gotten stronger, healthier. I, I can't wait to see him play this. Anyone else you got your eye on? Uh, You've got to keep an eye on Cornell. I mean, okay. I, they, they lose a lot. The last time we saw him play, Jeff Teat was the guy, and Jonathan Donville was running out of the midfield. But they've got some talent. That was a pretty deep team in 2020. The last time we saw him, you've got Chase Erland still back in goal. He's back. Michael Long really emerged yeah. in those first handful of games in 2020, went from being just a highly regarded freshman to all of a sudden, like a couple of games in, that he had a huge game against Towson in a game we did here on LSN, and he had a nice game against Penn State. The, the last time we saw Cornell play was one of the best games I think I've ever seen in that Cornell-Penn State game down in Charlotte. So they've got talent around. They've got some stuff to prove. Obviously, it'll be the uh, first year under Connor Busick as head coach, but I think 
in terms of culture, it hasn't changed because Connor has been at Cornell since he graduated. So he knows exactly the culture it needs to be. There may be some bumps in the road in terms of learning how to compete against the rest of the ultra-talented teams in the Ivy. But if there's a dark horse, maybe it's Cornell because people are overlooking him after they lose guys like Teat and Donville. I, I go with another new coach in that league. I, I think Harvard and Jerry Byrne. And yeah. you look at, uh, of course, Byrne was, wasn't able to do much at Harvard. He hasn't been able to do much at Harvard. He got less than half a season. And since then, he's been able to recruit and maybe get a little bit more of him into this program. And uh, you look at one of their freshmen, a defenseman, and Jake Brownlee is a football guy. And I look at that, stuck out to me because Jerry Byrne, obviously, we know him for his defense at Notre Dame. And yep. the more he can implement his practices, his philosophies on some of these new classes and players that have been there, the better off. So I, I think that Harvard could be a team to watch. They did recruit some scoring as well. So, um, Jerry Byrne's been cooking up something in Cambridge, so I, I want to. I can't wait to see what it looks like here in 2022. Talent is never. They never insured on talent at Harvard. It's just the question: Can you get all that talent to yeah. come together and, and be the team that they're expected to be? I, I'll be interested to see what Jerry Byrne can do. Finally, hopefully in a in a full season. Yes. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Uh, let's switch to the women's side. Who do you like for the women? Um, I've got Princeton, and I think uh, that's the odds-on favorite to win yeah. it because they do bring back their top three scorers from a year ago. It's Chris Saylor for her last season, the, the legendary coach there at Princeton as well. I mean, Kyla Sears has been doing it since she was a, a seventh grader. You hear from Casey Choma in a moment here and talk about she, how she came up. And uh, Kyla Sears has been so consistent over the course of his her career. And then you do have Marge Donovan on the back end, the first-team All-American. American. She's a McDonough alum as well, and you know how good that program was. And now you've got her sort of seeing through her college career in this. And any time you have that kind of defender and sort of being the crux of your defense, and then you've got Kyla Sears on offense, it, it really gives you some great balance. I mean, yeah. back when we saw Marge Donovan last, 43 gown balls, 28 cost turnovers, 15 draw controls. So they've got her. They've got a couple of talented freshmen coming in on the attack as well to play alongside Sears. So it's hard to pick against Prince in this conference where some of the other teams that usually are at the top um, just trying to maybe recycle a bit and, and find uh, some of that some of those new faces and I just think Princeton has enough of the older faces where they're going to be consistently there at the end of the year yeah and I think the thing with this Princeton team is you you read the USA lacrosse magazine for all their top 20 teams and Princeton's the only Ivy League team that that's getting recognition in their preseason top 20 but you look at some of the the lacrosse analytics and according to their analytics, they have Princeton brings back their top four players on the field. I, you can never underestimate yep. what that is, even with the time off. You mentioned Kyla Sears. Uh, defensively, they've got the, that unit back in front of Sam Fish. So not only do you have the defensive unit, but you also have your starting goaltender yep. back. And, and you mentioned it with Chris Taylor's final year. You can't underestimate what it's going to mean for this program to want to send out a legendary coach on a high note. I don't, don't know what that high note is, but there's no way they, when it comes down to it, they're giving anything less than trying to send out Chris with what she deserves. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why you'll see him at the top. They'll probably get some competition from Penn. Penn probably the second best team in that conference. They return a couple on the offensive, on the defensive side. They're 20th in that U.S. lacrosse poll right now, too. So yeah, they're Penn, the only team in, in that poll from the Ivy League. Sorry, I missed, missed Penn on that. But, yeah, a lot of talent for Penn and experience. So it'll be... Yeah. How do they learn and figure things out together and, and yeah, grow they throughout the heard year? a bit by the by graduation transfer portal as yeah. well, one of those teams. So, yeah. So, anyway, uh, let's turn our attention back to the men's game. We're joined by Owen Hiltz from Syracuse.
So we have Owen Hiltz from Syracuse joining us now. Uh, Owen, what's what's preseason like so far? A little bit more normal than your first year on campus? Uh, yeah, it's definitely been a lot more normal. Uh, it's a lot different, too, with the uh, new coaching staff, but um, we're definitely getting prepared for the season and uh, really looking forward to showing you guys what we got. Yeah, how, how different, I guess, does is it feeling like compared to maybe how you ended last year? Of course, things were a little bumpy down the stretch. And um, what is the vibe of the team like this time around now that, like we said, you're in year two, but also as a group, how does it feel? Um, as a group, I'd say it's almost the exact same. We got most of our leaders back from last year. Uh, and those guys kind of bring the energy and bring the positivity everywhere they go. So, um our group is almost the exact same. You obviously stepped on the field right away as a freshman and were able to contribute, which I think says a lot to, about you as a player, but I'm sure that there were some different learning experiences al along the way. What did you learn in year one of college lacrosse? Um, I learned to kind of don't take everything so personal when your teammates kind of say something to you, kind of just let it slide and, uh, just go on to the next play, kind of just refocus. You mess up, next play. Did you have a, a moment, like a welcome to college across moment last year? Um, Probably my first start versus Virginia. Hmm. Kind of just uh, first start in the Dome, kind of just blew me away. It was... Played well that game, too, so it was it was fun. Obviously, Gary Gate takes over, and for somebody who's Canadian to come in and now have an opportunity to play for him, what does that mean for you? Um, I mean, he's a great coach, amazing player. Some would say the best player of all time. Um, he does share a lot of knowledge about the game to – us as a, like offensive players, and uh, it's really exciting having him. He's got some new stuff, so can't wait to show you guys what he's got in store for us. Is it is it more of like some subtleties maybe? Like th you feel like obviously such a great player. They know some of those intricacies of the sport so well. Does he pass some of that stuff along, maybe a little more detail than maybe felt some that you've experienced in the past, some little things maybe that you learned? Yeah, he definitely, uh, he's definitely taught us how to shoot the ball better. Hmm. <laughs> that is one subtlety. I don't know if that's so subtle, right? Yeah. <laughs> Growing up in Canada, and obviously you're Peterborough, so he's a BC guy. Which, like, how did you feel about Gary Gate compared to maybe somebody who's from out west? Like, what was he to you? Um, I mean, I knew he's a Q's legend. Uh, NLL legend, like a, just an all-around lacrosse legend, but uh, I didn't really grow up watching him. Didn't know that much about him because he's from the West Coast, and I'm more of a East Coast guy. I know all the local players from Peterborough. Well, let's hit on that because they, there's such a, a long lineage of guys who have come from your hometown. Who were your guys coming up that, that you looked up to? Uh, when I was growing up, going to the uh, Peterborough Laker games, I would watch uh, John Grant Jr. 
and uh, Sean Evans. Those are the two. Hmm. A decent couple of guys to try to imitate, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Junior was out there like two years ago in, in field, the field game. I mean, and also, I think we've seen clips of him still knocking guys down on, you know, some every so often in and, and the floor game and all that. I, I think, obviously, two different players. You, you try and model it at all what those guys you know, try to do out there? Um, no, I kind of just like the way they play. It's just yeah. some, Sean Evans, he's a little guy. Just like myself. Yeah. He's a spark. And then John Grant is like slow and patient and creative with the ball. Yeah. You know, and also coming up, you know, through Culver, um, the talk about history of lacrosse in certain regions and in places. And Culver, of course, one of those, you know, what are, I guess, some of the stories that have been, that are told there of guys in the past and just the legacy of that program? I, I touch on that for a bit. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stories about Ethan Walker, Joel Tinney, all those guys in like the 2014 to 2016, uh, region. Um, there's, I mean, endless stories about how funny those guys are and <laughs> how great of leaders they were. Um, <clears throat> I mean, there's not really one that sticks out because there's just so many. When you got to Culver, my understanding was you hadn't played the field game a lot. What was that transition like? Was there a time where, like, it was a welcome to field the cross moment? Was there an adjustment? How did you translate from playing mostly box growing up to all of a sudden playing in the field game? Um, I mean, I just stayed on my lefty side and kind of <laughs> did my thing over there. Didn't really want to go to the other side too much. <laughs> Uh, had a good coaching staff while I was at Culver. They taught me well. Um, and I had some pretty good leaders while I was there, too. How big did the net look? Uh, very big. <laughs> to the Does it still look as big these days? Like, has it gotten, you know, obviously you had an outstanding, unbelievable freshman year at Syracuse. I'm, I'm sure, like, when you go back and forth, there, there's still that transition, but you're probably more accustomed to it now. Uh, yeah, the field net still looks way bigger. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know how goalies make saves in the field net. <laughs> they got so many fewer pads, man. It's crazy. Yeah, the box net's completely filled. Yeah, no, I, it, yeah. I respect to you guys who do it in the, the box game because scoring that way is just absurd. I, I was doing some looking on Instagram, and I have to bring this up. Your, your profile picture on Instagram, I know you don't post a lot, but it's pizza. Why? Uh, it's because um, these guys on our team, uh, they always have pizzas in their freezer. And whenever I'd get hungry, I'd make them. And one of the times, they just weren't here. And I took a picture of the pizza and sent it in. And uh, they thought it was hilarious. So, is it, I don't is know. It is this your house or other guys' houses that you go to and make the pizza? Uh, it's uh, other sophomores' apartments. <laughs> I mean, that's a frozen pizza? It looks like really good pizza. I'm going to be honest. Like, it made me hungry when I saw it. Yeah, it's DiGiorno. Wow. Oh, yeah. Okay, not, there you not, go. It's not delivery. It's DiGiorno. I, <laughs> I was more of a freshetta guy growing up personally. Like, <laughs> but I, that's all right. DiGiorno's good, too. It gets the job done. Uh, finally, I mean, I, I'll, I'll leave you with this. 
the number 77 is unique. I know, obviously, Canadians, you guys like to go a little higher. Why 77? Um, I mean, I liked uh, the double number. And there was, I think, two options when I first got in, 77 to 88. And uh, my first year of high school, when I went to high school back home in Peterborough, I wore 77. So I kind of just brought it back. Yeah. I was, was going to say, I think, did Sean Evans 88 at one point somewhere in the NLL? I think he might have been. I know Cody Jamison is. I think he's 88 for the Peterborough Lakers. Okay, there yeah, you go. That makes so, a lot of sense. So yeah. you went 77 instead. All right. Yeah, you know, finally here, um, Owen, as you look, you know, sort of in your future, what, I guess, what are your goals in terms of what do you want to accomplish in your lacrosse life, um, both here at Syracuse and, and later on in that too? I just want to get a vibe of what, what your, your legacy wants to be. I mean, just have as much fun as I can on the field. I mean, win a couple of championships here at Cuse go on, compete in the pro league, just have fun the whole time. Yeah, that's that's a good goal. That is know? a good goal. That's awesome, man. Uh, appreciate your time, Owen, and I uh, can't wait to see you guys back on the field here uh, this year in 2022. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So we're going to stay in the ACC now. We're on the women's side, and we have Notre Dame's Casey Choma joining us now. Uh, Casey, we appreciate the time. I'm sure it's good to be back out there in South Bend getting ready for the season I got to start with just competing in this league because, like, you go up and down and, like, throw Notre Dame into the mix. You guys, along with BC and and Syracuse and North Carolina, who are all Final Four teams, and, like, the list goes on. What's it like playing in the ACC? Playing in the ACC is awesome. It's one of the reasons why I chose Notre Dame, uh, just how competitive it is. And it's really fun. I get to play a lot of girls that I played against in high school and in travel. But the competition is just so intense. And it's always fun every time you know you have an ACC gaming up because you know it's going to be an intense game. Yeah, and, and you're right. Like You watch the ACC, and it's every single week it feels like there's a huge matchup, right? Does it feel yeah. that way to you? It's like another week, oh, man, now we've got Syracuse. Now we've got Boston College. And you can't really let your guard down, right? No, especially last year, being that we can only really play in conference, um, and we had those double headers, so we'd play Syracuse on a Wednesday and a Saturday, which is definitely tough, but so much fun, so competitive, and you know it's always going to be a great game of lacrosse anytime you have an ACC matchup. Yeah, and you mentioned last year, and of course there, the COVID, of course, is still around now, but also you know you would have some of the outbreaks on different teams and and all of that. For you, you know, it's I'm sure your first couple years in college maybe weren't as you imagined them to be much different for everybody but now that you're in this year you know how different is the feel um looking ahead here to, to 2022 compared to the last couple seasons yeah so my freshman year we only were able to play seven games before yeah. season got canceled and last year was tough i mean i got covid in february right in the beginning of season we had to miss four games you always had to worry about who was a close contact who had a quarantine so now this year not having that pressure or that stressed and like just being able to really focus on lacrosse your body school um is so amazing and there's a lot less stress than last year so now i could really focus on the team we're able to hang out together like outside of practice um, we could gather so I think all together as a team we're just so excited to really focus on lacrosse nothing else and be able to do it all together like we weren't able to last year yeah 
Put the, the COVID stuff aside and how unusual these last two years have been. For you on the field, you stepped on and, and made an immediate impact. Like, I, I can't imagine it could have gone much better for you when you decided you're going to play at Notre Dame and, and what you've done on the field so far. How do you reset new goals for yourself each season? Like, how do you reevaluate where your game is? Well, this year, being an upperclassman, um, I think a different role that I want to start taking on is more of like a leader and taking the younger girls um, with me and kind of showing them the ropes. Um, so now focusing on lacrosse, but also being able to lead in like different ways because we're a pretty young team this year. We're definitely underclassmen heavy and they were they never really were able to experience um, real ACCs and like NCAA games. And and I think now having those years under my belt, I could really lead on and off the field um, with that, still focusing on my lacrosse goals myself. But um, I think this year being an upperclassman, definitely becoming a leader is something I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, that's something, you know, and looking at your past, that's something it seems like always that you've been able to embrace, embrace even as a youngster. I think I was reading you were played varsity as a seventh, like midway through your seventh grade year in high school. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So uh, obviously you've been on both ends of the spectrum. How did maybe some of those lessons you learned? Because I think you tore your ACL when you were, what, 14 years old. And um, how did some of those lessons, how that they helped you here um, over the past year or so? I think just being young and I mean, my high school team uh, was very competitive and we had so many good girls on our team, Samantha Jackalone, the Huffs, and I think kind of learning from them and them instilling confidence in me at such a young age has allowed me to, when I came to Notre Dame as a freshman, although I was the youngest on the team, I think having those years, years under my belt in high school, being the youngest, um, kind of helped me once I came here because we had great leaders also like Andy Aldave, Bridget Dean, people like them really helped me too, took them under their wing. And I think I'm so used to being the youngest. And so now that I'm here, I'm finally an upperclassman. I think just like knowing what it was like to be the youngest and always being nervous every single game you played. I think being in high school, starting so young, I got really used to that. So as soon as I came here, although I was still a freshman, I still felt comfortable just being used to always nervous. And that's why I really want to help these younger girls this year. Be calm. Be confident, comfortable, relaxed. And so, yeah, definitely those years in high school helped me a lot um, with being confident and calm on the field. You hit on something that I think is so interesting because we see it in college lacrosse. Like you've got the superstar talent that comes in at top 20 or something recruit and joins a program and there's expectations there. But it's also weird because, like, it, as that freshman, you can't just walk into the locker room and act like you own the place because it sets, like, a weird standard in there. Like, how have you felt that, like, what is your advice to younger players, whether it's the freshman coming in or even if you talk to high school players back on Long Island, about mm -hmm. even if you're, you could have all the talent in the world, but there has to be some kind of attitude you have when you walk into a new locker room where there are upperclassmen that have done that before. Definitely. So um, with our team, I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by an amazing group of girls where, although as a freshman, no one treated you like that on our team. Um, they kind of looked at us as class blind. And it's kind of if you're putting the effort, the respect, um, just relentless out on that field, no one really looked at your age, which was really cool. Everyone was always so like supportive of hearing my input, although I was just a freshman. Um, 
everything out there was kind of just like a blend. Like I said, a class blinder team is. But in other situations, it's just be confident with your game. Never really want to overstep boundaries yet until like someone allows you to really, you know, voice your opinion. But um, like I said, with my team, I was very lucky enough. They took you in right away and didn't even look at me like I was a freshman, along with every other member of my freshman class at that time. So I think that's something that's really important. I just value everyone's opinion out there on the field, um, no matter what your age is. Yeah, and that's a really cool philosophy. Yeah. I mean, that's a great culture, sure. right? That's a great place to be a part of, I can imagine. Yeah, Notre Dame, one of our things we pride the most in is our culture. Everyone on our team is just so amazing, so welcoming, and I'm so lucky to be here. So how many of your teammates have Casey Choma t-shirts? <laughs> oh my gosh, all, all my roommates, they really want me to get them one. But my academic advisor, actually, I walked into his office one day and I saw it hanging up there in the background, <laughs> and I just started laughing. They love it. They're awesome. They're so supportive of it. It's really cool. That's great. How did that all come about for you? Obviously, a, a few of you in the sport have, uh, you know, capitalized a bit on the name, image, and likeness stuff. And for you, how did this come about with Lacrosse Unlimited? Yeah, so I remember July 1st came and I was like, oh my gosh, like my mom was so on top. She's like, this is a great opportunity. Like you're having an opportunity to like use your name. Like, let's try it. And uh, yeah, Lacrosse Unlimited reached out to me and they're, they're amazing. I love working with them. They send us these amazing packages all the time. I went to their headquarters. They're so supportive. We have a great group of athletes with us. Uh, we stay connected. We have a group chat. It's really fun. But it was really cool actually being able to um, use your name. And I mean, it's a little awkward at first because I'm like, okay, like this is so new to me, but yeah, they just reached out and, it, and ever since then it's been so easy. They're so flexible because they know how busy we are as athletes here now that we're definitely in season. Um, but yeah, it's just been so smooth, so fun, so exciting. You get little like boxes here and there. It's like a little present. My roommates actually get so excited anytime Lacrosse Unlimited sends me a package because they love their apparel too. So it's just really fun. And I'm so, I'm so blessed to have the opportunity to do that yeah nice little perk of uh, being a, yeah. a, a named division one lacrosse player nowadays huh? being, being the roommate of one yeah I that think too is a real perk right <laughs> they love it they get more excited than me sometimes when all these boxes come in <laughs> we, we mentioned you're from long island can you get good bacon egg and cheese or bagels in south bend Okay, there's some, some are just really bad. If I'm being honest, it's not the same. But we have a couple good places actually on campus that have pretty good bagels. And the pizza too. We had this one um, local pizzeria that actually our team priest always takes us out to. Um, and we always have team pizza dinners there. And it's really good. I don't mind it. But it was really nice last year. And I know we went to Syracuse and it wasn't Long Island, but we got pizza when we played them and it was, it was really nice to get some New York in there. Yeah, see, yeah. Even, even a little bit closer, right? Just in proximity, yeah, you, you get the pizza just gets a little different as you go farther east. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Casey, I've got one more for you because I had the I had the opportunity to go to Notre Dame one time and it was like one of those bucket list items to be on that campus because I think there's just so much prestige around it. First time you walked on campus, what's that feeling? What was that feeling for you? So actually, the first time I came to campus, it was 14 degrees. It was a <laughs> blizzard. It was like the worst weather possible. But I stepped on campus and I immediately felt like it was home, which I knew in that in those conditions for this to feel like it was home. I knew this was the place and stepped on campus, saw the dome, saw the basilica. 
And right away, I was like, this is home for me. And I know on my visit, I went with a couple of the lacrosse girls to a hockey game, basketball game. And I just saw how much they loved each other and cared for each other. And I knew I wanted to be a part of this family right away as soon as I stepped on campus. Well, what's it like seeing people... I've never experienced anything like it in terms of like a football game day when you you not only see people tailgating on the outside or um, but also everybody's like strolling around campus. You're taking pictures in, in front of the touchdown Jesus and going to the Grotto of Mary and uh, the Golden Dome looking at that, too. What's it like, you know, being there and seeing all these people like tourists almost coming in, coming into your home? Yeah, you actually just gave me the chills when you're talking about it because I love game days so much. So whenever we have a home game on like Saturday, um, you'd be surprised, but families start rolling in on like a Wednesday. Campus starts getting packed. You see little kids running around, throwing the football. Um, they Yeah, they get here pretty early. Um, and then usually what our coaches like to do is we have like a practice on Saturday morning, early, like 7 to 8 a.m. Um, so we get a good practice in. And actually our lot of stadium where we play, there's a walkway right behind it, and that's where all the fans come, and they walk right through to the tailgates, and everyone's like cheering at us in their uniforms, their coolers, going to the tailgates, and the atmosphere is just amazing. And like being able to play lacrosse right in the morning, you get juiced up at practice. We all run into the locker room, we have our game day outfits on in there, change, and then we all meet up and like in the tailgates, and just the atmosphere is unreal. Like every every football game is. I I can't even I could I couldn't even imagine missing one. Um, but it's just yeah no it's amazing. Like I said, people strolling really early into campus. Everyone's going to like all these different buildings. Yeah. Um, it's just it's so awesome and to do it like with your team is even better. Like all together as a unit, going straight from practice to the games is so much fun. Yeah, and that doesn't happen everywhere. No, like, I think people need to realize that that's not normal. I, you know, Travis and I, we've seen different game day <laughs> setups, yeah. and you go to the tailgate, then you go in. Like, there's not this other mystique that goes on. But uh, Notre Dame's uh, definitely special in that. So special, and that's one of the reasons. One of the reasons football um, is definitely why I chose this university. Yeah. Also, and lacrosse. A yeah, little. there's there's the recruiting <laughs> pitch. There's the recruiting lacrosse. pitch for uh, for Notre Dame. Uh, hey, Casey, oh, yeah. we we appreciate the time so much. Good luck this year, and uh, we can't wait to see you guys back on the field. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks, Casey. So we stay in the women's side of the sport. Let's take a look now at the Pac-12 women and set the stage for their season here in 2022. Uh, yield to you, Travis. Who you got at the top? Well, we had a whole topic on this a couple of weeks we ago did. of who the next team is out there. And we were talking about Stanford in the same realm as Northwestern. So my pick this year is Stanford. Yeah. We already hit on it a couple of weeks ago. I mean, they bring in the number one recruiting class in the country, which in order to take that, I know we talk about how great it is to go out to California, but to get the number one recruiting class in the country out in California, it says a lot about what the program is doing right. So Danielle Spencer taking over, she has brought a lot of, not like it needed a ton of energy, but she has brought even more energy to this Cardinal program. On top of the number one recruiting class, you also bring back a player who maybe has been one of the biggest players in program history, Ali Bayako, coming back for a fifth season. She's joined once again by Galen Liu. I mean, Ali Bayako, for all intents and purposes, like if Stanford is in the national conversation, has to be considered a tour time candidate, right? Absolutely. Like if she yeah. continues what she's been up to, I mean, and this team ends up somewhere in the top 10, top eight in the country, she is 100% in that 
five finalist conversation. Yeah, I think Stanford's a top 10 team. I believe in the preseason poll in the USA yeah. Lacrosse, they're 14th in the country, but I think they're a top 10 team. I know they play in the Pac-12. We'll get a definite taste of what they're all about when they take on Syracuse yep. the first weekend of the year. So we'll get a good glimpse there. And you mentioned the incoming freshmen. And of course, if you read the article on Inside Lacrosse, they've also got three redshirt freshmen coming back. So three players that all sort of took it all in last year. And now with some departures, they get to now be the ones that, that come in. And you have uh, Kerrigan Miller's sister, who is one of those new freshmen, Madigan Miller. So I thought that would that'd be fascinating to see what she can do over there yeah. at Stanford now. So on the West Coast for the Miller family. But as for those three newcomers, you, one of those, Sarah Jocks, a decommit from Northwestern originally, went over to Stanford and was the fifth-ranked 2020 inside lacrosse freshman coming in. So you've got a lot of talent, a lot of young talent at that. I think that's going to really help define Stanford with, of course, the, the sort of the jewel in all that being Bayoko. Yeah, I think it'll be fascinating to see how they gel it together because this is – one more year with Allie. So how, how did the, how did those new incoming pieces then fit with some of the experience that you have that have been to the NCAA tournament, but hasn't gotten over that hurdle yet. So yeah. I, I, that'll be, I think that's the biggest question for them nationally, but I think in the conference, they had six, they had one loss all of last season. They were six games better than the teams that were behind them in USC and Colorado. I think there is not that there's a huge disparity, but in terms of, Teams that are ready to compete on the national stage, I think there's a little bit of a gap heading into this year. Not like long-term program-wise, but heading into this year. USC loses a lot around Kelsey Huff, so it's going to be up to them to kind of reinvigorate things. I think it's more of a, a growing year for USC than Stanford with some of these fifth-year seniors. It's like, let's go. Go time now. Yeah, and you, you go to Colorado, of course, to see that's the team that has stood in the way of Stanford over yeah. the years as well. They do bring back their top scorer in, in Sadie Grozier. So 39 goals, 13 assists. Charlie Rudy had led them in goals, 45. They lose a lot on the back end over Colorado. So that is something that they're going to have to try and contend with and, and make up for. I do – Arizona State intrigues me a bit mm. in this conference. Tim McCormack, and, and, of course, he's been there now for a couple of seasons. And like we said, the Northwestern going out west, and he was a part of North. Northwestern and and for a while so he does return a lot of offense and uh, and also a transfer Taylor Pinzoni a midfielder from Northwestern you know how impactful a do-it-all midfielder can be especially in the women's game as well um, she can score ground ball ground ball draw control cause turnover one of those end-to-end uh, -end kind of players so I, I kind of like what they had 10 and 6 last year 5 and 4 in the conference so maybe they could be the ones that maybe take that next step and find themselves possibly in that championship game really young program it'd be yeah. exciting to see them there. Uh, one thing also to remember with Stanford, they had a lot of logistical issues with just being able to practice last spring. So hopefully everything yeah. goes smooth sailing here because I, I think that put them a little bit behind the eight ball in two in, in, two in terms of just overall feeling like, all right, we're, we're ready to go here at the beginning of the year. Yeah, and I think for a lot of programs so hopefully things will be a little bit more settled you heard Casey Choma talk about that yeah. said it feels you know last year we were worried about a lot of things for a lot of reasons and um, hopefully this year you know things are a little bit more under control they don't know what the virus will do we don't know any of that but at least I think people have a better handle on how to handle things if it were to come up yeah uh, one more thing uh, before we let you go and say goodbye I made a mistake uh, last week with Drek talking about Drexel unfortunately Luke Tomac uh, the midfielder, sophomore, out for the season due to a torn ACL happened in the fall. Coach Brian Volker telling USA Lacrosse Magazine, mm. my fault for not realizing that. I still think the Dragons are going to win the CAA, okay. so it doesn't change my prediction. 
unfortunately get well uh, soon to, yeah. to Luke because that he's a tremendous talent. I can't wait to see him back on the field, but also excited for the rest of the drive. Yeah, thankfully with medicine, seems like the ACL is unfortunate and as long term of a rehab. We've seen a lot of athletes come back, come. back pretty strong from that these days, which yeah, is good. So for sure. Hope for that for Luke as well. All right. All right, that should do it for our show. Yeah, you want right. to take us out? Yeah, let's thank you for watching once again. Make sure to tune in next week, same time, same place. For Travis, I'm Tom. See everybody next time.